Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we follow our curiosity, diving deep into the familiar and the foreign. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, explore intriguing ideas, and have real conversations with the best guests. Ready for something different? Let's get started. Climate change is not often something that's super top of mind when people are planning their holidays, though perhaps it should be. Climate change impacts not only our future, but also our everyday lives. And the rate at which our climate warms is partially influenced by how, when, and where people choose to escape from the stressors of their daily lives. So why would you say we as global tourists need to to better consider climate change when planning our holidays, perhaps now more than than ever before? Yeah, you know, certainly over the the last couple of years, climate change certainly hasn't been at the top of mind. For most travelers, we've we've just gone through a, a crazy era through COVID with with all kinds of restrictions. And, and in that recovery period, everybody's just worried, am I and my bag going to get to the place where I'm supposed to be? Um, has been at the top of mind for the last little while. But before, you know, COVID paid us a visit, you know, we saw movements like flight shaming, more so in Europe than, in, say, the North American market. But that that remind us, you know, that, that there is certainly awareness and things are changing in that respect and that people are paying more attention to that. I think most people now, most Canadians want to take action on climate change in their, in their everyday lives. And they've figured out, well, how do I do that at home, maybe at work? Um, and holidays, you know, their travel patterns is something that they're adding to that. And most struggle with how, how do I go about doing that? And part of the problem there is the tra- travel industry doesn't have carbon labeling. So when you go to buy a home, you go to buy a car, you go to buy an appliance, it tells you the energy efficiency. Um, it tells you something about the carbon footprint of that choice. We don't have that in the travel industry. So that makes it difficult for people to actually understand the difference between holiday A and B. Mm-hmm. And there was a really good survey in the UK of asked homeowners or you know the c- citizens in the UK, you know, what are the top things you can do about climate change that you have personal control over? And, and they listed those things off. And then they compared those against, well, what are the actions that would have the greatest impact on your footprint? And the biggest area of misunderstanding was related to travel. So yeah. people were talking about getting out of their cars and biking to work and things like that. But one transatlantic flight for a Canadian, you know, somebody going to Toronto, Heathrow or something like that, that can be as much carbon as they do, you know, that they use in their car in a given year, depending on how much they drive, what they drive. Um, and so, you know, you can't not heat your home you, you know most people can't not drive and, and switch to public transit some some can but you might be able to take one less flight a year and substitute that for a different kind of holiday or things like that you know travel can do amazing things but the, some types of travel are certainly more compatible with a low carbon economy than other kinds right now and people are just trying to get their heads around what those choices are yeah and i think it's important to educate ourselves on how our travel and the modes of travel that we're taking on can have quite a serious impact on climate change and our footprint yep this for me i'm a skier i'm not sure are you a skier Yes, my my wife's family is Austrian, so the the skis oh, come with the the passport. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. But I am not of that quality. No, I I get dragged along. Yeah, I also get dragged along. I learned <laughs> as an adult with my kids, so I'm I'm such a chicken on the slopes, but I still love it. 
And it was really shocking to me, you know, a couple of winters, I would say, there have been some headlines around the world of a real lack of base, snow base, at very popular ski resort destinations. And I suspect it's not only a concern for ourselves as people who love to ski, but also for those communities that support or are almost fully supported by these local tourist industries. So I know you've done a lot of research in this area and published a lot of studies in this area. Can you explain a little bit to our listeners the impact that climate change is having on on winter tourism? Yeah. So that's a question I've been asked a a lot in in the media over the last probably five, maybe even going back further, um, number of years. And, And some of them always looked at me a bit perplexed when I used to say to them, it hasn't had an impact on the ski industry. And, and what I mean by that is from about 1980 through to about 2010, um, average ski seasons were actually getting longer and longer in every North American regional market, so from the East Coast to the West Coast. And the reason for that is the ski industry invested hundreds of millions of dollars in snowmaking. And so that was able enabled them to, to lengthen the ski season and smooth out the bumps from year to year, particularly the early season around Christmas and things like that. So we were actually seeing average seasons getting longer, even though the climate was getting warmer. Hmm. That switched about 2010. So the last decade or so, we've seen that tip the other way. So average seasons are actually getting a little bit shorter. So we've we've probably passed the era of what you might call peak ski season. And same with snowmobiling in, in more rural areas. That's a big hmm. part of their tourism um, we're sort of past that that sort of peak of length of season, the ability to connect trails over you know, over ice surfaces and things like that. So that's where we stand today. And, and as you said, we we've we're seeing more in the in the southern Ontario area of these sort of green Christmases, where even a place like Blue Mountain with tremendous snowmaking capacity can't get open, and they've got to keep you know the ropes course and other things open for the kids to give them something to do around Christmas. And so that's. That's what we're facing now. Of course, the the billion or, or trillion dollar question is, what are we looking at in the future? Um, and there we really have have two futures. If the world's able to achieve the Paris Climate Agreement, the, the targets for, for emission, lower emissions, and, and that is an if, but assuming that's what we're all working towards, then sort of by mid-century, so the next couple of decades, the ski industry, would you'd recognize it. There, there'd be a few players that fall out of the marketplace, but Southern Ontario would exist out of the market, um, Quebec and other places out west. Again, some places like California might struggle a little bit, as we've seen with snow droughts and, and, and some of the atmospheric rivers that they've had if they come as rain. So that's a low emission future, looks not unlike what we've had the last sort of decade, a little bit worse. If we continue along the high emission trajectory, which is where we are now, then the entire geography of the ski industry begins to change. And so what you see in mid-century in in eastern Canada, um, you see parts of the southern Ontario market fall out. Um, you'll see parts of New York struggle as well. Quebec is colder, further away from the Great Lakes and maritime and climate influence. High elevation Vermont and New Hampshire will be okay. So pieces of the market will be there. There'll be essentially, there'll be winners and losers. And understanding who those different destinations will be, as you said, for the communities is a big question because they're going to have, they're all going to have to adapt but for different reasons. If you're one of the winners, 
Um, like when we've asked, we've done surveys of skiers, like, well, if you couldn't ski here today, where would you go? And, you know, a whole bunch of them mentioned Blue Mountain or Mount St. Louis Moonstone. Well, people are going to go there. You've got to be able to handle that. So you can't just have more snowmaking. You have to have lift capacity, parking services, and all of those things that allow you to benefit from that transfer of demand and do better as a business. And so that's what each of the communities has to look at. How how are they going to adapt over the next couple of decades, depending on whether they're more climate resilient than maybe some of their market competitors? Mm-hmm. And tourists themselves will have to adapt because there will be more expense. But is there also a climate impact hmm. on in terms of people having to travel further afield to yeah no that's a really good point so what that's what we've always typically found is as as your local ski areas maybe some of them fall out of the out of the marketplace yeah people have to travel longer and, and there is also a secondary concern that not just for recreational skiers like ourselves but we've heard that from olympians as well that you know if you can't if your kids don't learn to ski here at Chicopee, which is our local hill, or Glen Eden near Toronto, would they have learned to ski? Well, if you have to drive your kid to Blue Mountain for you know two hours or three hours driving, yeah. how many wouldn't have learned to ski? So that's your pipeline to the next generation of skiers, but it's also your pipeline to the next generation of elite athletes. So if they don't learn to ski, do they take up hockey, gymnastics, whatever the thing is? And you never get them into the winter sports pool and then work our way up to the Olympics. Um, so that's that's a sort of twofold risk that, yes, there's there's additional travel costs, potentially additional emissions. If, if more people fly to Whistler or Colorado to ski, the emission footprint um, of that tourism goes through the roof. And so the more we can keep people locally, and I've heard some people you know, complain about the emissions relating to snowmaking. And I say, they're not understanding the system because in Quebec and here in Ontario, our electricity grid is pretty much decarbonized. Like it's, it's right. you know, hydro and, and, and nuclear or it's hydro in Quebec. So that snowmaking, if you double the amount of snowmaking, comes with a very little carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can keep people in the region right. um, and if they take an electric car, you can pretty much have a net zero holiday now. The minute they get on an aircraft to fly to Colorado, to Aspen, or to Whistler or Sunshine, um, the carbon footprint of that holiday is is like 10, 20-fold what it would have been if you stayed home. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. You have been listening to an excerpt of a larger episode from Season 1. For the full episode, you can visit our website or browse our back catalogue. If you enjoyed this episode, you would be a real gem if you would rate and review our show. It helps us to grow and expand our reach. You can also subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. Find us on Instagram at at Harrison Walker or visit us at www.homeandabroadpodcast.com. We do have great merch, just saying. And of course, we would love to hear from you. And for you truly dedicated fans who have listened all the way to the end of this episode, we offer exclusive interviews, outtakes, challenges, and more on our paid channel, not even the cost of a latte once a month, depending, of course, on where you buy your coffee.